And welcome back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut. And you have joined myself, Joe, and Lauren. And Joe, unfortunately, is cracking up because Lauren let out a whoop. Do that again. <laughs> right before. Whoop, whoop. Yep, there we go. That, that Joe lost it. Because we're very excited, but also a little bit sad. Because this is Joe's last episode with us. Um, For some time, at least. He decided he's going to join the carnival. Yeah. And, By my uh, true calling, which is, you can tell by my voice that I love entertaining people. Well, I figured, Small children. I figured you're going to be the bearded lady or something. Yeah. I don't know. But. I really can't grow much of a beard. <laughs> and you're not much of a lady. Oh, right. Yeah. So, no. Is anymore these days? Actually, <laughs> ooh, ouch. <laughs> so tell us, Joe, where are you going in uh, a week? I am going to St. Charles Borromeo Seminary, which so, is in Pennsylvania. Seminary. Seminary. Well, that's exciting. Study to be a priest. Is that what I do there? Okay. <laughs> I heard the food was good. <laughs> and it's free. It's free. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, so, okay, so uh, having known you since you were 13 years old, I I, I want to hear your your vocation story. Like, what, what? because I've heard we had you on here about your conversion story, about how you encountered the Lord and started following him. But but the vocation story is probably a little bit different. And, you know, you've gone back and forth over the couple, last couple of years as to whether yeah. or not to pay, take this plunge. So what's your story? <clears throat> yeah, um, I would really listen to the episode you're referencing which conversion uh, stories part one and two yeah in case you're part one particularly is where i talked about my conversion which was precipitated largely by your interventions i would say um yeah i think that well i said in that episode that one of the ways which the lord called me to himself most sort of like specifically was through the liturgy and through the mass right as an altar server eventually as, as an extraordinary minister of holy communion and and whatnot and so um yeah i mean altar serving programs are drivers of vocations at least if they're done right and um Proximity to, to priests and to the Eucharist and to all of that, I, I just I fell in love with, with the Mass. Um, and I would say that I considered the priesthood throughout high school, you know, um, throughout college. But I don't think I could have told you why at that age, you know. Um, although I felt really strongly about it for, for a lot of that time, but I really don't think I could have told you why. Um, and there have been a lot of false starts uh, with this where I've decided to enter and then decide not to enter within a few days, weeks, months, whatever, not important. Um but um, part of what kind of pushed me over the edge was I started teaching. So I graduated from college in 2020, and I started teaching CCD back in my home parish. Um, and I would be saying things to the kids like, "Well, you know, you really have to like listen for God's will is in your life, and you know, you can't, you have to, you know, you have to surrender yourself to His will and you have to obey Him, even if it's difficult. And you know, you'll lose friends, maybe even family, but you know, you gain so much more by obeying Him." And as I'm saying it now, I'm laughing because it's ridiculous because I was, I was so totally ignoring my own advice, right? If I find clicked with me that I, I can't I can't put off God's will in my life forever. And it was pretty obvious to me at that point that he was calling me to the priesthood. Um, and I, and I, I just felt such a profound sense of responsibility for these kids I was teaching. And I realized that that's what I wanted for the rest of my life was to bring people closer to, to, to Jesus um, and to celebrate the Eucharist. And so... I went home eventually told my parents that I was not going to go to law school as had previously been uh, planned, but instead was going to enter seminary. And let's just say it didn't go great. Um, and so we... What, what was the reaction of your parents? Well, they were pretty surprised because we hadn't discussed it in years. Um, but you had discussed it in the past. And- we had discussed it. So this was the second of, of three attempts. I'm a good Trinitarian. The first <laughs> attempt was when I was 18. I was a freshman in college, and I came home during second semester and told my parents I wanted to leave to enter seminary, and they said that they were very much against it at the time. What was your degree? Uh, political science. Um, and so they convinced me to wait a year, which turned into graduating, which was fine. And, and, you know, I mean, it was on my mind, but it wasn't 
I don't think forefront in my mind for a lot of that time, you know, I was thinking about law school or becoming a professor or a journalist or whatever. Um, so I started working for a year and I came home and I said, you know, I want to enter seminary. And, um, you know, at this point I was 22 and my parents were not happy again. My, my mom had come around a little bit at that point. I was older, you know, and I think she, her mind was like, well, you know, he's not 18 anymore. He's an adult, you know, he can, he can make some decisions, but she still thought it was a too quick turnaround for my previous plans. Um, it was very sudden, I guess. And it was very hard for my dad, especially. And so we agreed to wait a year and I would think about it and discern more and they would think about it and kind of come to terms with it. And my mom really did come around in that year. Um, she really came around in a lot of ways. I still don't think it's her first choice for me, but she's seen how much it means to me. And that seems to be enough for her for now. Hmm. And she's trying to be very, and she's being very supportive. My dad is having a very difficult time with him still. So those who are listening, please feel free to pray for him because he can certainly use it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so that was that on that and I'm going. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. It's crazy. The fruit of many people's prayers and much, much patience. Yes. By many people. Yes. Including our Lord. So, and I, sh I shared with Joe earlier that I got a text from a, a dear friend who goes to Joe's parish and who was saying with saying Which kids that taught martial arts to for many years. Yeah. He, she, he taught martial arts to her, her kids. And she was saying that when she heard this, this news, she, her eyes were filled with tears and she was very moved because having known Joe since he was a, you know, a, a, ye, a wee little one. And she heard the news because my pastor, whom I love more than anybody on earth at the end of the 11 o'clock mass this past Sunday said, after he finished saying that Deacon Angela Fleur would be returning to seminary, I said, and Joe Prada, Joe, please stand up for us. It's going to be entering seminary. And I don't know if he was going to do that. And so everybody in the audience was made acutely aware of the fact that I was going to seminary. Well, you know, my pastor did the same thing when I was in yeah. high school. And the worst part was I had just come from umpiring a baseball game and I was absolutely filthy. My yeah. hair was disheveled. Were and you was, in the audience? Were you on the altar? I was in the a congregation. Okay. I was wearing this oh, like no. ratty Baltimore Orioles yeah. t-shirt. So and he's funny. like, oh, you're going to seminary. Please stand up. I'm like, I'm so embarrassed to stand up. I was right least, now. I was just wearing cask and surplus. But. Oh, that's good. So you already look like a priest. I looked like a bum. I was pretty obvious in seminary. <laughs> I don't think I had shaved in three days. Our <laughs> latest priest, folks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, newest the newest acquisition. <laughs> yeah. They're like, can we trade him for a player to be named later? <laughs> that's funny. So what attracts you about the priesthood? What would be something you dream about doing? I think it's just, I just like the idea of only working on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that's the life I was made for. Tell me how you get that job. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not feeling it. We're recording this on a Tuesday, obviously, so it's not true. Um, no, I mean, above all other things, the Mass. I mean, the, the idea of standing in the person of Christ and consecrating his body for the people is just, I just, that's enough for me. Um, I've, I've, I, not to sound like sentimental about it, but, you know, it's not been an easy journey. And, I told my sister when we were talking about it one day, I said, I said, the reality is that I'm not going to be convinced I don't want this because if you told me that I would have to go through all seven years of seminary and I could celebrate and I'd be ordained a priest and, be, and I, would, I could be ordained, be ordained and then I would celebrate mass once and then die the next day, I would take it in a heartbeat. Just to hold Jesus in my hands after consecrating him myself. I mean, come on. Wow. Come on. That's so beautiful. I would do, I would, I would take it and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't think twice. So, so, the, so the mass first and foremost, but also, um, you know, the fact that, that the Austin priest lives out two of the three evangelical councils really means that he's available to his people in a unique way, I think. And so, you know. So for our listeners, what are the three evangelical sorry. councils? Lauren, do you know? Um, no. They are poverty, chastity, and obedience. Okay. Um, so I won't have to take about poverty as you did not either because we're, you're a secular priest and that's what I am hoping to be one day. But we do, you do, take a vow of obedience to the bishop and his successors and of... Um, Chastity, right. which means that you are fully available to your people. To your people, you live your life at the church, through the church, by the church, for the church. Which means that I can be a father to God's people more than I could ever be 
with a wife and kids. It's yes. As beautiful a vocation as that is, and it is. That's very beautiful. It's very beautiful. And I remember I was hiking probably about three years ago with uh, a, a little family. And it was, it was uh, uh, an aunt and her two, her niece and nephew. And the niece and nephew um, didn't really know their dad, you know. And so I was trying to kind of be a father there. And we get up to this peak and the son turns to me. He's probably about 10 years old. And he's like, I'm so glad that you're my surrogate dad. Mm. I was like, I didn't know you knew what the word surrogate meant. Right. <laughs> but I was like, wow, you know, this is one of those moments where you really do get to be that father. Yeah. So what do you think the challenges are going to be? Hmm. If you can think of them seven years in the future. No, yeah, I can. Um, I'm young. I'm 23 now. I'll be 30 when I'm ordained, if I'm ordained, God willing. Um, it might be hard for people to take seriously the idea that some 30-year-old who only ever held two jobs and never had a wife and kids is going to give them counsel. I could see that being a problem. Um, I don't know. I was 29, never had a job. Yeah. Unless you count my landscaping summer. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's a serious thing. Um, you know? Yeah. I don't know, you know, to be, I think that you have to kind of be on at all times. Like you can't, as a priest, you don't want to ever have a bad day because, mm. you know, the one time you snap at a parishioner, that might be the last time they go to church. It's very true. You, know, you hear how many, how many, I hear so many stories from people saying, you know, I used to go to church, but I had a bad experience with so-and-so priest and never again. It's like, well, maybe he had a bad day. Maybe his dog died. Like, you don't know, but you have to always be thinking like, I am, I am Jesus to these people, not just when I'm celebrating mass or in the confessional, but at all times. And mm. that's a responsibility. And, you know, I mean, there's a real thing that like those um, who are entrusted the with the care of souls have a high obligation. And that's, I take that seriously. I mean, I really seriously when I talk CCD, you know, and I don't want to be the reason somebody turns away from the church or turns away from Christ or fail, doesn't come to conversion. You know, it's horrifying to me. So yeah, some real challenges, but. That's fair. That's fair. What about you, Lauren? Have you ever thought about the priesthood? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever thought about it religious life? Growing up? No, not at all. Um, I think I was always close to Christ and I always had a strong faith. Um, but not at all. I've always imagined I would get married and have my own family. And then fast forward to being like, I'm maybe 28 years old. And I made this comment to Father Andy that nuns are scary. And he looked at me like, what is wrong with you? I had no personal relationships with any sisters at all. So that was just a foreign thing. Like who does that? You know? Um, and then he was like, okay, I need to introduce you to some clearly. Um, and so he did. And, um, I can see how it's such a beautiful life and I'm really inspired, um, from the sisters that I know their relationship with Christ and Mary is so strong. Like you can see they're living it, you know, and I pray, I offer things up, I do penances, but I am not at their level. I can see it, you know, yeah. like you, you still kind of have doubt. Like, is my prayer working? Is this penance doing anything? Why bother doing this? Oh, I could watch another episodes of whatever show versus do my 30 minutes of prayer time. Like, you know what I mean? Like I can fall off, but getting to know sisters that I have, you just see it's, um, it's just every part of who they are. It's every day. It's like every hour of every day. It's such a strong devotion and it's such a beautiful life. Well, let me ask you, Joe, then, uh, do you feel like... To be a nun? No. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you feel, do you feel the, the, like, uh, oh, I'm not holy enough to be a priest? Or are you like, yeah, I'm holy enough? <laughs> no, that's kind of a catch-22. Um, no, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't phrase it in that. I, I'm not, no one deserves the priesthood. It's a gift. Um, and that's why the sacraments work irrespective of the holiness of a priest, right? Right. Um, I have real flaws that will be have to be ironed out in formation and thereafter, right, for the rest of my life. Um, some of which will make 
ministry difficult and which will cause problems for me because that's how humans are. Um, sure. But Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So if he's calling me to this, he will make it work for me and for the people whom I serve. Um, Amen. I've known plenty of priests and that's the thing. It's like, I know the priests have flaws, you know what I mean? Cause I've seen them and, and I, you learn what you can, but ultimately I'm not perfect and that's fine. Yeah. That doesn't, God doesn't require me to be perfect. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's honestly been one very, very positive side of the, uh, you know, the scandals and everything that happened in the last 20 years is, is the fact that people are realizing that priests are people too. They're not, you can't put them as on a high, as high of a pedestal as perhaps they used to. And you can't expect them to always be working, quote unquote. Like you need to be able, willing to be their friend and let them let their hair down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, that, that, that is important. That's very important. So speaking of that formation that you mentioned, you know, yeah. <laughs> what, just for the information of our listeners, you're probably wondering how in the world does one become a priest? What is the process and what is the process? Yeah, it's because nowadays it keeps changing. Yeah, well, it's um, it's a little more <laughs> actually compli- getting a little longer. <laughs> That's why he's. It's a touchy subject. It's a little more complicated than one of those like um, ninety-five dollar online forms you get to be a to, to do weddings. You know. Oh yeah, you yeah. can get ordained online. Yeah, it's a little more complicated than one of those. Um, so <clears throat> for me, it'll be seven years in total, God willing. It's not. It's not. There's no problems along the way. Um, the plan will be seven years. First year is what's called probodeutic year or spirituality year, which is mostly focused on personal and spiritual growth and development, really into sort of intensive human formation, less so on class. There are classes, you go through the Bible and the catechism and spirituality and whatnot, but it's really meant to be focusing on, on growth. So um, very regimented uh, prayer, everything scheduled, uh, a lot of retreats, 30-day silent retreat at the end, uh, poverty immersion for several weeks, um, work in the community to some extent. Um, technology fast Monday through Friday, commerce fast Monday through Friday. Um, that's the first year that'll be at St. Charles at a separate house. And then the next two years will be pre-theology. It's called minor seminary. So that'll be, it's for me, that's, that'll be two years because I already have a college degree. If I had gone out of high school, it would be four years of college seminary. So for, that'll be just, you know, some intensive philosophy, philosophy coursework mostly and can always con- continue on human formation. And then after that, um, I believe, I believe after that four years of theology, What's unclear at the moment is that at the moment, the way it works is you're ordained a deacon for your final year in seminary and a transitional deacon. And um, what looks like it's going to happen is there'll actually be a period during which the transitional deacon is actually immersed in the parish, not just for a summer. So I, what I've heard is um, six, six months into your final year of major seminary, which is theology, you'll be ordained a deacon and you'll be in a parish full time for the last half of it. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. This is all kind of evolving at the moment because the USCCB is changing their their program for priestly formation and the Vatican's involved. And so we're, 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 we're the better part of a decade away from that. So I'm not worrying about too, too much. But yeah, um, yeah so that's what it looks like in broad strokes. That's for, for pretty me. intensive. Seven years. Yeah. That's longer than becoming a doctor. Certainly. I mean, if you went, went to law school, it's what, three years? Yeah. And- yeah. By the time I'm ordained, God willing, I'll be the only person qualified to be in a young adult program. <laughs> Joe's making fun of how old I am. That's right. <laughs> well, that's good. When you're ordained, you can take over Restless, and I'll, I will go retire to the priest retirement home. Nice. So, At the ripe old age of 44? 44, 45. I don't <laughs> even know. I hope I'm still alive at me that too. moment. Yeah, me too. But uh, yeah, and, and I think what's important is that it's a long process because it's not just a job. Right. As you mentioned, it's who you become. And that's yeah. and as you mentioned, Lauren, and, and nuns go through that same kind of formation process where it's it has to become literally like every cell of your being. 
to become like Christ. And that's, that's hard. Yeah, my drive-in, I was listening to um, the Bishop's podcast on which he interviewed Father Colin Lomnitzer, who was just ordained for the diocese. And he was saying that um, if for, in order for the priest to stand in persona Christi and be the person of Christ, he really needs to conform himself to Christ. And that's what formation's about. Yeah. And that's about right. Yeah. I was just talking to Father Lomnitzer mm-hmm. last night, actually, because oh. he was at St. John's for the Feast of the Assumption and... To me, there's something so moving about seeing a young priest, right, just up on the altar, and it's kind of like, oh, he's one of us, but wow, you know, like, he's made all these sacrifices, and he's conformed himself, as you're saying, and uh, I told him that after, and like, I don't even really know him. We met a year ago, also at St. John's, and we chatted, and then we've chatted like once or twice since, but I don't know, it's just very special, and um, I'm excited for you, Joe. And I feel privileged to know you now and help pray for you along your journey. And I appreciate it. You know? So let's ask about those sacrifices because I think that's a big reason that a lot of men choose not to go to the priesthood or women choose not to go to the the convent is because of the giving up of the spouse, you know, Mm -hmm. celibacy. What do you guys think about that? Is it time to move on from celibacy? Is it a value? Is Is it hard? Is it possible? Is it healthy? I think it makes no sense um, right to like your everyday person, um, until you really transform your life. Like we've been talking, right? Because once you are centered around Christ, I think a lot of things just fall away. Mm. And, um, I mean, we know just from you, Father Joseph, you are just the busiest priest, I believe in our diocese, the amount of things that you do and running your parish and working with youth and young adults and, you know, you're just endless. So just, I know the Protestants do it. They have a family and they still have their congregation. Well, not just but the Protestants, the Eastern Catholic priests That's too. true. Yeah. The Eastern Church does too. But you know what? Um, I love the Eastern Catholic Churches. I think they're really fascinating thing. I'm just saying that. But there's something to be said about the reality that chastity is an evangelical council, which means that it's ordered toward the evangelization of the world. The married priest cannot be as available to his parish, I don't believe, as the married as the unmarried priest. I can agree be. with that. And so that's what it is, right? You're marrying the church that so you may be available to the church and to her people. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful witness. I believe this is what helped convert Christians. I don't know when, right? But it's like <laughs> priests would come in yeah. and they'd be like, wait a minute. You're not trying to like get with our women and right. steal from us. And it's like, no, we're no. here to preach the gospel and we're celibate and we don't want anything from you. Right. Mm. Whatever you can give us, great, because we need to eat and live. But yeah, it was all about Christ. So it's not time to move past celibacy. No, not at all. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And and the married priests that I've spoken with all agree. Yeah, like they're like we feel so torn. Yeah. Do you mean they were married and then they became priests in the Catholic Church, and that's how they're married? Um. Yeah. Some Protestants, Protestant ministers who were married and converted, yeah. were the given Episcopal priests or Lutheran Episcopal priests or whatnot, Lutherans. Yeah. yeah. Or the Eastern Catholic priests. Or Eastern Catholic priests. And uh, yeah, no, they all they all acknowledge that it's a, it's a great gift. I actually w- I was um, in seminary with a couple of them, and uh, it was great. You know, it was great meeting their wife and their kids. And we have a, we have a couple here in our diocese here in Bridgeport, and they're wonderful men. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it was very you know it's funny because one of them was at St. Mary's in Norwalk, and uh, he would often while I was a chaplain at Trinity High School because I I you know I kind of haven't had an assignment but kind of didn't because I was, you know, Trinity Monday through Friday and weekends I was at St. Mary's, but they didn't always need me. Mm. So he's St. Mary's in Stanford. So he'd call me up and be like, can you house sit the rectory this weekend? And I was like, why? Because he's like, I got to be with my wife. 
because he he had a separate house for his wife and his kids. Oh, and so he'd be in the rectory four days, and like, and then you know, at home for three days, and back and forth, and it's almost like being a divorced parent or huge, divorced right. kid. You know, it's like huge sacrifice for the for the family. Huge sacrifice yeah. for the family. And that's why even if a man nowadays wants to become a permanent deacon in the diocese and they're married, you know, you you have to get the wife's permission too, mm-hmm. not just the man's. Yeah. Some dioceses, I don't know about ours, but they actually make the wife go with the husband or at least encourage her to go with the husband to the classes because it's like you should see what you're getting yourself into and you should know about it too because you're going to be part of the ministry ultimately. Yeah. So I think they have to go to some retreats with, yeah. with the man. Cool. Which is very cool. He has a whole family journey. But, but as a priest, it is a great gift to have that freedom of heart. Yeah. And in even more than, I think for me, even more than serving the church is, is being available to Christ. Yeah. You know, because I'm very blessed to pray for three hours a day. And, and if I was married, I wouldn't have the opportunity to do that. What does your prayer time look like? Usually I'll do a holy hour before mass. So mass is at 9 a.m. at my parish. So probably about 7.30 to 8.30. Um, and then the, the full liturgy of the hours. And then I do a full 20 decade rosary every day. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of times, I have a lot of drive time. You fit that on the drive from Monroe to Stanford. You're stirring up controversy. Stirring the rosary is twenty decades, not fifteen. Oh, we're, we're, gonna, get, we're gonna get emails. I just recently. But they'll read, be in Latin. So you, we'll be able to read them. Do you know who? Fine. Do you know who came up with that? It was not John Paul II. Who had luminous mysteries? Yeah. Oh, who was it? It was Saint Louis de Montfort. Uh, what is he? He know? wrote that in the secret of the rosary. Yeah, I know. <laughs> only the greatest man ever yeah. to be devoted to Our Lady. Mm-hmm. He wrote that in the secret of the rosary. He said, as he said, it's very legitimate to meditate on other mysteries, including things like the Transfiguration and the Wedding right. Feast of Cana. And so when all those traddies are like, it's John Paul II. No, it wasn't John Paul II. Somebody poked Father Joe. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> only because recently I was recently I was uh, backpacking with some some families, and, and there was one particularly. Uh, traditional Latin mass family and it was Thursday and we we're praying the rosary and I'm like, all right, first luminous mystery. And I saw the dad and the son start whispering to each other and I'm like, mm, you need to pray it too because mm-hmm. it's a really good, beautiful it set is. of mysteries. The mysteries for our time. Yeah, I love the luminous mysteries. Yeah. You know, it's because because John Paul II encouraged us to make up our own, I also made up some other mysteries. Oh, no. I have the... <laughs> <laughs> No, they're legit. I have like, the, I have five mysteries on the parables of Jesus, five mysteries on the miracles of Jesus. I mean, come on, raising of Lazarus. There's so much to meditate on the raising, raising of Lazarus, you know? I don't pray those. I don't pray those, but I'm, I'm sure it's fine. Joe's like, look, <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. Somebody had to make up the joyful and glorious mysteries. They didn't. They weren't just like dropped off, off by Our Lady to St. Dominic. They're like, here we go. Here's 15, you know? That's the thing that people forget about tradition is that tradition originally was actually come up with by a human being. Mm-hmm. In fact, did you know that the organ was very controversial when it first came into the church. Is that because it was not singing? Right. Yeah. Because it was not know, singing. Do you know why it's preferred? Yeah. Because it emulates Because it emulates singing. singing. It's, yeah. it's yeah. air going through pipes. Yeah. But for, for centuries, it was yeah. controversial. So like when the guitar entered the liturgy, now I'm not a fan of guitar music, but in the liturgy, but... Anymore. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've played my fair share yes, at Steubenville. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. Anyway, so we're off topic now. We're way off topic. That's all right. So let me ask both of you, the question, what are some qualities that make for a good priest? This is both helpful to me and Joe. <laughs> so. I think I have an easy, obvious one of humility. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's great for all of us. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say that I've experienced this, but I could see it happening where a priest thinks it's all about him and the message he wants to relay to his people and it's not right it's always about christ and what's best and sometimes it can be hard to humble ourselves yeah 
you know, or make a sacrifice you don't want to make. But if you're focused on Christ, mm-hmm. that becomes easier. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important that a priest look good in black. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone looks good in black. And I have really dark hair. So why do priests wear black? Because they're dead. Yes. To themselves. Yes. Dead to the world. (laughs) Right. Dead to the world. Um, No, but in a serious way, I think that... Cheaper um, than colors. I don't know. Yeah. Plus it hides stains really easily. Hides stains. Yeah, pasta stains. Yeah. It makes picking out your wardrobe so easy in the morning, I assume. Um, Although there's more (laughs) variety than people, I think, realize. I'm clerical, not for you, but for other priests, maybe. Well, I'm amazed how many different shades of black there are. I think, I'm, things don't I think match. I'm like a, a grayish right now. I don't know. Might just be worn, though. It's very worn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a priest, a good priest needs to be flexible such that he doesn't make the perfect enemy of the good. Um, hmm. And needs to be open to correction. Mm. Because I, th- I don't know this, but I, I would assume that after going through seven years of seminary or eight years or however many years they make up by the time I'm done, um, <laughs> there can be a temptation to think like, I know this stuff. And like, I'm coming out of a seminary which there's beautiful liturgies, everybody's super pious, and now I just need to impose that on the world. And like, that's not what you're here for. Like, you, like I just think you have to always remember that your mission is to save souls. Mm. And with that, I would say my third thing, which is you, there has to be an ambition and um, an eagerness. Zeal. A zeal, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a sense of urgency about saving souls. I see a lot where, where the, the, we act as if like we're, we're guaranteed the next 10 years of ministry with somebody. It's like, no, you're not. You don't know how much time you have to impact a specific life or mm. how long you'll have a program. Like you need, there has to be an urgency about everything you do saving souls. That's what you're here for. You know, yeah. they say that he who saves a priest saves a thousand souls, but that doesn't just happen magically. So the fact of your priesthood doesn't save a thousand souls. You need to actually work for those souls. You're a labor in the Lord's vineyard, right? Mm. And I want to hear those words when I die, right? Well, do my good and people the servant come share in your master's joy. That's yeah. what I want to hear, right? At the same time, the one thing I've learned over nine and a half years of priesthood is that we don't save souls. It's Christ who saves them. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, we, we definitely need to be instruments. We need to need to listen to the, the movements of the Holy Spirit. But I tell you that it's, it's, uh, it's frustrating to me, you know, as a priest to pre- preach a homily and get no response or to yeah. go teach a confirmation class and have all the kids abandon the faith, you know, and you're kind of like, is my ministry doing all anything? All but one. Mm-hmm. All but Joe. <laughs> <laughs> all but one. So, yeah. So Yeah, so, and I would imagine there could be a tough balance of, I guess, uh, that care in not wanting to offend people, but also having to speak the truth, right? But I think we all actually experience that. Do you? I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, I love to chat with people about the faith or God, so I'm like, bring it on yeah. any t- time I can. Um, but it's tough, and it's easy to offend people, but the the reason is good, right? And it's just clear to me, too, in, in whatever you're doing in like a spiritual life or a life of faith, like you have to remain true to like the true convictions, Right. Yeah, and if you don't, things start to fall apart, yeah. and and they are going to end, and maybe they should end. You mm-hmm. know, like, yeah, the truth is an act of love. And you can't you well can't said. That. Truth is an act of love. Yeah, that's true. Can I'm we <clears throat> can we hit on one other important thing? Yeah, please. Desolations. What about them? <laughs> <laughs> Enough. Well, Joe, <laughs> I mean, has discerned this right? Oh, I think a lot of people throw that word around, but Joe actually has 
discerned the priesthood. Yeah. So, so now it's well, likely to follow discern seminary. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Although I will say that I Is do that believe in like what, a priest. Technicality. Well, but, well, no, because uh, the next seven years, if he leaves, it's okay. Because oh. God does call some yeah. men to seminary. Right. I guess that's for true. His, a, man, a man who's not meant to be a priest leaving seminary is a success, not a failure. Okay, well, that's a good clarification. But but, I, but anyway, but your point the is, devil is, going is going to attack you. Oh, yes. Because that's what, <laughs> that's what he does. He yeah. wants to pull us away from following God's will. Amen. So, I don't know. Any that, words of advice? That is Father an awesome Joe? warning. Yeah, what words of advice do you have for someone starting out? About spiritual warfare? Yeah, or, and in general. In general? Uh, oh, gosh, in general. <laughs> um, stay close to Our Lady, mm-hmm. definitely. You know, There's a lot of, in seminary, there's a lot of men who love the externals of yeah. the church, yeah. the, the cassocks and the, the bells and the smells, but, but are missing perhaps that personal relationship with Christ. So never get trapped in the externals nice, to, the, yeah. to the detriment of the internals. It's mm-hmm. the interior life that matters. And... Priest, a priest must be a man who loves the cross. He must love to sacrifice, and he must mm-hmm. sacrifice every day for his people. So never let a day go by without a serious sacrifice. Hmm. Nice. That was so beautiful. Yeah. Well, but I think that's the same with even a married couple, right? I mean, it's just married couples kind of see the fruit of their sacrifice perhaps a lot more vi- vividly. You know, when they're up at 3 a.m. cleaning up their kids' throw up, mm-hmm. you know, that's yeah. that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You could see the one for whom you're sacrificing and they may not be grateful at the time, but, you know, looking back, you're like, okay, that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And the same way, if any good father sacrifices for his children. Right. And living for each other versus living for ourselves. Because it's very easy for priests to be just bachelors. Yeah. You know, you get paid well as a Dawson priest, you know, you don't take a vow of poverty and some priests drive Maseratis and... Well, maybe not a Maserati. Never once seen a priest have a Maserati. <laughs> uh, I have seen a priest with a was it a Mustang. But a lot of your expenses are covered. Yeah, a lot of our expenses so. are covered. I mean, and you can have good food all the time you want. And, mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm a, I'm very actually very embarrassed. The priest before me, a couple of priests ago, bought a smart refrigerator. Nice. So you can hook up to your iPad or iPod or whatever you know, iPhone. I iPhone, guess I know it's you iPods, don't have, which I don't have. Right, but you can it can tell you what you have in your fridge. So if you're at the store and you're like, do oh. I have milk? There's a camera in there to show you if you've got milk. I see. And I'm deeply embarrassed by it because that, well, to me, goes against the evangelical council of poverty, which I know priests don't take the vow, but we should still simplicity. It. It's simplicity. a humiliation for you, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I just have to make excuses anytime someone's like, ooh, nice fridge. You're like, like, I oh, didn't buy it. Yo, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. All right, finally, in the, in the last 30 seconds that we don't have because it's already past time, no. what, would, what can we do to encourage vocations to the priesthood and religious life, especially in today's world where it is kind of a hard sell? What can we do? Priests Pre- certainly need more. Priests need to model a happy and masculine priesthood mm. that, makes, and that inspires young men to live that life. Parents need to be generous with their children and willing to give them to the church. And we need to prioritize real encounters with Christ on behalf of these kids and not an endless stream of YouTube videos and programs that don't actually facilitate conversions, relationships, develop relationships with these kids. If you want to encourage vocations, develop relationships with kids in your parish, encourage them to grow in holiness. And if the Lord calls them to the priesthood, he will call and they will answer. Beautiful. I second that. Yeah, just, I mean, I think my small role is helping run youth group and it became so clear to me in my first year of doing that, that we want to prioritize helping the kids develop a relationship with Christ. And that's all we're trying to do is like give them that opportunity and Christ will do the rest. Amen. Yeah. Amen. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us in this episode of Restless. Thank you, Joe, for being part of our Restless team for so long. And uh, we're going to miss you, but we're going to keep you in prayer as yeah, you go you. Thank you. I'll be praying for all of you, and I'll be back. I'll crash in the summer when I'm home or something like that. Please do. Please do. You're always welcome on Restless. You can find us on Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM, and you can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time.